You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times. Hi, everyone. In this podcast episode, I had a very interesting conversation with Rob Cuddy, evangelist for HCL AppScan, about tool sprawl and security testing and how organizations can benefit by consolidating on an end-to-end tool. Here's how it went, and I hope you enjoy. Are you saying there's a tool sprawl that impacts organizations when it comes to their their testing? Yeah, well, we're definitely seeing a an interest in people to better assess the tools that they have, right? And mm-hmm. and use that. Um, this is really brought to light to me um, a couple of years ago at a summit that I was attending where it was a group of CISOs and security directors. And one of those events where, you know, they kind of get together for a day and a half and discuss a, a lot of key topics. You get to meet with a few. Um, but guy gets up on stage and he was the CISO for um, a relatively uh, reasonably sized healthcare organization. And he was talking about how whenever they had challenges for any aspect of security, right? So we, you know, here today are talking more about application security, but if you think about network management, if you think about identity and access management, if you think about um, your SIM, all of the different things that you're trying to do, your threat intelligence and modeling all that out, um, he got up and he said, hey, when, when we had to deal with this, we looked at best of breed for each of those disciplines and went with that, right? So in the name of kind of safety and best practices, they they would go out and say, okay, well, who's doing really well in these particular disciplines? But then he said, but we never stopped to look at whether what we already had addressed it. And so mm-hmm. what would end up happening is that you would get the tools in place and they would do exactly what you wanted them to do for that particular discipline. But then as a CISO or as a director, right, you're trying to report up to a board and you're trying to tell them, well, here's where we're vulnerable across the board. Here's what our risk posture looks like across the board. And it became very challenging to do that, trying to pull all these independent silos together. And Mm -hmm. so we've now kind of heard that story from a lot of other organizations where you have all of these different tools in place that go and address certain aspects of security. But what you really need to do is aggregate those together in some holistic way so that you get a better view of total risk, right? Um, Different summit not too long after that, I was with a gentleman um, who was part of a bank in uh, South Carolina, and he was running um, his program by these large uh, spreadsheets, right? One of them was doing thousands of Monte Carlo simulations based on a started assumed risk posture and then looking at you know all the criteria around that. And then the results of those simulations, he would feed into kind of a different spreadsheet that was categorized about 13 different ways. So he had kind of everything from the age of the machines that I'm working with to the um, operating system on them, how often we're patching, is data encrypted at rest? Are we doing uh, vulnerability management? Are we doing application scanning, right? On and on and on. And for each of those categories, this is what I thought was so fascinating, was he would start with kind of a basic risk assumption on, on those. 
mm-hmm. given the history from the organization and the amount of incidents that they had seen, you know, over time. So he was tracking a lot of that. And then he would categorize each of those areas as either um, we're not doing it at all. We're doing it in an ad hoc fashion. We're doing it scheduled or it's continuous. And by looking at those categorizations and playing with some of those different criteria and then using um, natural log math and some probability calculations to keep the, the numbers honest, what he was able to do was manipulate those categories to identify which ones for his organization had the biggest impact on risk. Mm-hmm. And so where that all sort of boils down and what I'm seeing a lot of CISOs struggling with and trying to do today is they're getting asked to come into a boardroom and say, okay, justify your budget or what do we need to do for next year? And what they want to be able to say is, hey, today we are 25% likely to have a million dollar breach in the next six months. But if we do these three things, that risk goes down to 5%. And they want to know mm-hmm. what those three things are. And that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to do, right? So instead of slicing my budget up six ways to Sunday for each of these different areas, they're trying to figure out like, well, am, am I good for AppSec right now? And should I focus on endpoint management? Or should I really focus more on getting my developers to threat model better so that we can design better, right? Where do I invest? my security dollars. And so that's where mm-hmm. I think a lot of this conversation has has um, sort of had its genesis because we've got so many tools and so many licenses and so many different ways that we're using them and so many different um, agreements around them that we don't stop and take a look at the bigger picture to go, well, well what do I have and is it working for me? Right. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of thing. This is more, this is more the stuff that you're seeing on the security side rather than the testing side or is that just kind of go hand in hand well um it would be an entirely different conversation but i tend to believe Mm -hmm. that security and testing go together and and maybe different conversation for a different time but i do believe that we're seeing a trend up in security being part of the overall quality discussion Mm -hmm. so we're seeing QA teams being asked to do more around security and include that as part of the final sort of gate on the way to production. So right. um, it's not so much that they're being asked to do um, like high the the deeper security testing or that they're being asked to resolve security issues or things like that, but but it's more getting it included and validating on on the mm-hmm. way. So um, one of the things, and it would be great for us if we're able to highlight that in, in here somewhere, mm-hmm. um, is, is yeah, you're seeing a rise in interactive testing. So this yeah. connection between security and quality, um, interactive testing basically acts as a monitor. So if you put that into the environment where you're doing your normal QA stuff, so let's imagine you're doing functional testing in particular, because this is great for that. Um, you're exercising the application. You're testing out scenarios, right? You're in, in many cases, you're doing that manually for the things that are just harder to get than that, you know, through a script or through some kind of robotic menu or, or that kind of thing. So okay. when you have that and these guys are exercising the code under normal conditions, what I asked is doing is analyzing the traffic. And anything that it identifies as malicious or potentially risky, it's flagging. And so Mm -hmm. basically, 
you're getting security testing for free alongside your functional testing. There's okay. no learning curve for the QA person to have to do. It's they're doing what they normally do, but you have this little monitor running in the background that will flag stuff for you right away. So now you can include that information as part of your overall view on what quality really looks like. So we're okay. seeing that conversation evolve. Um, conferences like Star West, like the Agile DevOps East and West, um, Star East, you know, um, we've even seen it at the DevOps Enterprise Summit. We're starting to hear more about it. Um, traditional security conferences like RSA and Black Hat are starting to have some forays into that space from based on the whole DevSecOps paradigm. Uh, mm -hmm. So those worlds are definitely coming together. So yes, to, to answer your initial question, yes, I do think that this is a problem across the board. Um, we see it in DevOps too, right? We I could show you slides where, hey, this is these are all the tools that are in DevOps, and there's like 200 of them, mm -hmm. right? Everybody knows Jenkins, everybody knows Jira, everybody, and then all of a sudden you start going Bamboo, and you start going Maven and Gradle and Azure DevOps, and you know dozens mm -hmm. of other tools that are out there across all these different disciplines because it was the same problem. It's I'm going to solve deployment. I'm going to solve continuous integration, right? I'm going to solve automated testing and that kind of thing. And now you have things like Azure DevOps and you have organizations like us who are trying to write end-to-end -to -end tooling to tie it all together so that I can get mm -hmm. one view of it. And I think this is also why value stream management is starting to get popular because people right. want the one view of all of that. So, so ToolSprawl is not at all unique to security. But I think it shows up really well there. Um, I've used this stat quite a lot in different talks that I've done. Um, and so it, it might be a little bit dated, but in mid-2019-ish or so, Palo Alto Networks did a fascinating study on you know large and medium-sized organizations around security. And what they found was that if you fit that criteria, you had anywhere from 40 to 120 different tools in your organization just for security. So who who in the organization is normally responsible for, for you know, implementing that tool? Is it always like a top-down approach? Is is it coming from the, well, the this, testers yeah. and the security personnel themselves? And that, that's a great question because I think this goes right into sort of where software development as a whole is gone right now. Mm -hmm. Um, now, if we were doing this video and your audience could or could read the article in video form, they would see I'm a little bit of a gray hair. So I've been around this a mm -hmm. long time. But um, if you if you go back to kind of the mid 90s, early 2000s, the trend there in this these particular spaces, right, where DevOps was just starting to get going um, and that kind of thing, most of the software development that was being done had the um, this sense of standardization around it. So if you were an organization, right, you were usually mandated from the top down, um, hey, this is what we're going to use for asset management. This is what we're going to use for configuration management, for a build, for whatever. And you had a lot of people like myself who were doing build and release engineering who wrote scripts, right? Most of us knew Perl really well. That was the really popular language back then. Um, and so you were writing scripts to integrate with all of these different tools. 
and you would have basic config management, basic asset management, basic um, defect tracking, you know, really popular tools back then were things like ClearCase and ClearQuest, um, you know, they, they were dominating the market, but people started to use them for all kinds of things that they weren't really intended for. So ClearCase was was basically, you could think of it as kind of a precursor to Jira, right, in terms of how people are using it today. But people were trying to use it for scheduling and for release planning and for um, tracking activities through the build. And, and because it allowed both stateful and stateless kinds of uh, transitions. So mm-hmm. what started to happen was, you know, teams would use these tools and they would they would get told, but they would get bogged down by process. So organizations would continue to layer it. And it would be because you're standardizing it across the organization, you change one thing for one team, it affects every team. And so what started to happen was people began to work more with components and you had object-oriented programming that showed up. And so people started breaking down these these applications and they started realizing that, hey, when we do a release, it might not be a good idea to send 13 CDs to somebody to update it, right? So mm-hmm. you were doing these large sort of sweet things, um, the S-U-I-T-E kind, right? And you'd have uh, a family of products that all depended on one another and they had to be released at the same time. And so developers were getting really frustrated because, hey, I'm done with my piece, but I got to wait on Steve over here who's six months away because his team isn't done yet. Like we need to solve that problem. And so over time, it started to move more into, well, how do we design better and how do we get features delivered better? And Agile was born, right? And we started talking mm-hmm. about well, all the use cases and hill statements and epics and stories and all of that. And so development started to change in a way that moved them a lot faster. So that meant now that the pace that they could produce things and the pace that operations could consume them, where it used to be the same, now it was vastly different. And operations was really struggling hard to to keep up. And, And so you started to see, instead of this idea of standardization, applications then became owned by a line of business in the organization. And it would be assigned a VP or an app dev head or something like that. And those guys were the ones that were responsible for the tool decisions. And basically they said, okay, I got a budget and you guys tell me what you need to go get the job done. And so Mm -hmm. you had this big pendulum swing from standardization to the developer's king, right? And whatever they want to work with, that's what we're going to use because the teams are small. Well, that worked for a while. And then you started to have the pendulum swing back to a bit to where, okay, we still need visibility. We still need transparency. We still need to understand risk. And security kind of stayed in that sort of standardized mode of, well, we ha- it's, it's a separate silo. Like if you're in development, we have no idea what those guys are doing. They just come and bug us whenever there's a critical vulnerability that needs to be dealt with, right? Mm-hmm. So that that mentality of security being separate kind of is stayed for a long time. So it would have been your security director or maybe whoever is running your SOC, um, your CISO would have sort of the final say, but that was largely independent. Well, as DevOps evolved and we got now into the mid 2010s and you started to realize that the best organizations were the ones that were mixing in 
good secure design up front. They had elements of security testing throughout. So they were releasing not only high quality code in the way that we think of it traditionally, but high quality code that was also safe, right? Mm -hmm. How do you limit breaches? How do you limit ransomware and and all of that kind of stuff? So what's now um, sort of evolved, I guess, in this space and to to get to your, your question that you have the security teams were trying to come into this world where everything's moving much faster than they're used to. And the initial thinking was, well, we'll come in and we'll get them, we'll get developers and testers and they'll, they'll follow our rules and they'll work the way we do. And the Mm -hmm. exact opposite happened, right? The business said, Hey, no, we're not going to slow people down. We're not going to change release schedules. Like you guys have to figure out a way to fit, into what development is doing and you've Mm -hmm. got to come alongside them so what that looks like now it's it's typically a conversation between your app dev lead your so your vice president you know over that line of business and your security director of going okay how do we make this work um and that's part of the reason too why we've introduced capabilities um like what we would call our slider or test optimization different capabilities like that that basically allow you to control the trade-off between the depth of the testing you want to do and how fast you want it to get done. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can say, hey, you only want the 95%, great. We can set it that way. If you're on the way, you know, close to production, maybe you want to test for everything, right? And turn mm-hmm. off optimization and go deep, like that kind of thing. But but the point about that is we allow you as the individual in that organization to decide that trade-off we don't automatically do it by trying to limit policies or change rule sets or you know arbitrarily limit the number of tests or things like that like you can make a scan take two minutes but do you want it to right is it going to be worthwhile that's that's kind of the, the thing today right 